Hey guys, welcome to The New Normal, where we are talking current events, finances, philosophy, preparedness, and more. My name is Sal, and with me as always is Quentin. Say hi to everybody, Quentin. What's up, guys? Quentin, how's your week? It's been busy, man. It's been busy. Gotten uh, some potatoes planted, some sweet potatoes planted, and uh, kale and onions and carrots and uh, melons and stuff. Nice. Dealing with livestock. Um, got to do some fun things though too. So I've got some new toys that came in. And yeah, it's been been pretty good. It's been busy though. What about you? Pretty much the same. Um, the life of an entrepreneur, just kind of jumping from project to project, and you know, with with all the stuff that's happening with taxes, and you know, getting those prepared, and just figuring out you know, are we, are we even going to get this stimulus check? Is it something that we want to be beholden to? Do we even care if we get it? It's just been one of those kind of personal decisions, whether or not we want to even venture into that. Oh yeah. I got my stimulus check. I'm I'm so glad I got my $1,200. I mean, <laughs> I'm so glad I basically lost my job to get $1,200. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been huge. I've never made that much money at one time. So, all right. I mean, That's hopefully, hopefully people, <laughs> hopefully people can survive on twelve hundred for the next. I think what was it, eight weeks or ten weeks? One of the one yeah, of the congressmen yeah. was saying. Yeah, you uh, hopefully you stocked up on ramen and some Vienna sausages. You know, you'll, you'll feel like hell at the end of this, but uh, you won't starve. <laughs> you'll make the most of that twelve hundred. Well, and if you're going to go that route of getting ramen and everything, I, I, I suppose that that would be the best time to start stocking up on the toilet paper. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is, it, it's crazy to me. I went to the store again this week and still our local Walmart has absolutely zero, not a couple rolls here and there, not the 99 cent four pack, like zero toilet paper. How are we this far into it? And we still don't have a supply chain on, on toilet paper figured out. That's really strange too, because I think the country actually makes most of its own toilet paper. So I don't, I'm not even sure. Most of our paper products come from the United States, toilet paper being among them. So that's just really strange. And you, you got to think if, you know, if, if, uh, if, if you're not eating quite well, how often are you really having bowel movements? Do you really need that much toilet paper in the first place? I like but, uh, the, I like the consensus that everybody had to stock up on toilet paper because they're trying their cooking for the first time. So I think that's yeah, hilarious. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm blessed to have a wife that cooks well. So I, uh, and, and I cook too, but realistically she does most of it. So I don't want to be a liar and say I cook our meals because that's not true. <laughs> well, I, I, I would say it's relatively maybe 50, 50, 60, 40 on my end doing, doing the cooking. So thankfully we've been, uh, I do the meats. Oh, of course. I smoke the meats. I, I, I grill the meats. I, uh, broil them, you know, I, I take care of the meats. If there's some sort of delicate meat, that's, that's like my domain. I, I didn't even make, I didn't make that rule. My wife was just like, we do this better. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's your, it's your job. But, hey, uh, it's a man's territory. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, could, we kill him at month. Man, so we we have a lot to go over. This is episode two of The New Normal, and within the last week, the headlines, as we said when we were closing last week, 
are just ever changing. So there's, there's a lot on my mind. There's a lot on your mind. I know that you wanted to, you know, go over for our second episode. Um, if you're joining us for the very first time, we want to thank you so much for even considering uh, the opinion of these two individuals who you may or may not know. And uh, we, we just want to extend our, our appreciation to your, to your viewership and to your, to your listenership. Um, we are set up on pretty much every podcasting platform. Now we kind of busted our butts for those first few days, getting it on Spotify and iTunes and Google. So we are wherever you want to listen to your podcasting. Um, we are also today for probably the first time and only time, who knows, we'll see how the, the feedback goes, uh, doing a Facebook live. So we are actually transmitting this Zoom cast as a Facebook live to see how that plays out, see if there's any good feedback on that. And if we can interact with our listeners and, and our viewers um, as, as we do this live. Um, so it's pretty exciting, the technology that we have available to us to, to even be able to do this, to do not only a Zoom video, between you and I transfer that into a podcast, but now we can upload these into YouTube and do these on, uh, on Facebook live and get that sort of interaction, get some feedback pretty much right away. So long story short, thank you guys so much for joining us for episode two of the new normal. We have a lot to cover today. I wanted to set up this conversation with maybe a framework of a couple topic ideas that Quentin and I were talking about. Um, if you haven't checked out the website, we're also publishing some articles. Some of the articles are based on the topics that we talk about. Um, some of them are kind of, you know, rants or diatribes of, of our musings and, and our thoughts that happen in between shows. So if you're interested in checking out the website, that is newnormalpod.com, newnormalpod.com. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback on the articles that we're writing there. But to get into some of the topics, I think the big narrative that has, I mean, inundated the news over the last week since we did our first episode, which is quite interesting. You and I had this conversation before the show that about a month ago, there was the, and if you're watching the video, you're seeing me do air quotes. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, you can hear me doing air quotes. Um, there was conspiracy talk about how this coronavirus was manufactured in a lab, was somehow some sort of biological weapon. You know, the language was there. And I think kind of as a retaliation or, or, or even a rebuttal to China's almost immediate blaming and finger pointing at the United States that we brought the coronavirus over to them during some military exercises. And now we're saying the exact same thing a month later from when the conspiracy websites were talking about it. Now we have Tucker Carlson, we have the mainstream media who are actually talking about the coronavirus as a potential bioweapon and how it is, uh, you know, being manufactured by the Chinese. And that's, that's kind of where we're going to go today with, with the topic. And, you know, if, if it is a bioweapon to what end, what are, what are they trying to achieve? What is China trying to achieve by making this a bioweapon? Um, are, are we looking at, a potential threat against our economy in such a way. And we're going to talk about uh, an article that was in the Forbes uh, article recently this week about how China is buying everything right now. China is on a buying spree. So is that a motivation with weakening our economy so that we can pay off our debt somehow to China by them buying up all of our assets? Um, and then we'll get into 
towards the end of the show, staying financially independent from that uh, as an individual and how you can shift your mindset to the new normal of being financially prepared and having a uh, a financial track that will help you through these types of situations, whether we get out of this one and another one happens in another 20 years or 10 years or five years, um, we hope to set you up with that. So we are supported by Mammoth Fuel. Mammoth Fuel Bars were created with people like you in mind using only natural ingredients and zero artificial junk. We took no shortcuts in developing this highly functional and portable fuel bar. What are the benefits you may ask? Portable on-the-go fuel, post-workout recovery, boost cognitive function, aids in weight loss, anti-inflammatory, and low sugar. With 13 grams of protein and only 4 net carbs, Mammoth Fuel is the perfect meal, snack, and energy bar where you'd like to go. Try Mammoth Fuel at mammothfuel.com. Without further ado, um, we'll, we'll just get into it. Um, I know you had some thoughts on whether or not China was manufacturing this um, whole situation as a bioweapon. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And I know when we talked before the show, you, you had referenced a couple, um, a couple articles that were related to that topic. Yeah, so unfortunately... I didn't put any of those articles in the show notes, but people, they're readily available. Yeah, Tucker Carlson had a whole the, the Wuhan segment. ESL4 laboratory. Yeah. I, I just felt like it would, might be kind of redundant to just put them in there because there's there's been so much coverage on it. I, I would want to say this, that, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past China to do something like that. And people ask me, oh, well, what ends would they have to do it? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you can think of it this way. Um, you know, 60, the numbers vary. I think it's between 50 and 60% of our economy is local small businesses. Um, and right now those have a certain percentage of market share that, you know, Walmart, Amazon, those companies don't have. Now, a lot of those companies, they do sell Chinese products and they are in some way in business with China, but not to the same extent where they have home brands being manufactured by large Chinese factories. So, you know, I'm not saying that there's some sort of vast conspiracy or something like that, but you could, you could see why China would have developed either, try to develop a vaccine and was careless, and I'll go over some things uh, that indicate that might have actually happened, or they were testing bioweapons and uh, something bad occurred in the lab, or it was an intentional release. You know, what would be the ends of doing that, you know, hurting us, hurting our economy, we, we will ultimately become more dependent on the Chinese economy um, because of this if we don't immediately take a very cautious approach to China and start to limit their influence in our hemisphere and uh, limit their interactions with our corporations. Um, because large corporations have a vested interest in continuing to do business with China and producing products in a large volume-based uh, model, you know, and, and distributing them online through Amazon or Walmart or whomever. Uh, so there is, there is a, a vested interest, I guess you could say, from, from that point to basically consolidate China's effort to control global economy and, and distribution and product distribution. Um, but uh, there is also just the, the, the aspect of the Chinese Communist Party who are, you know, when I was looking into the virus months ago, they were 
immediately blaming us, the citizens on on forums uh, similar to uh, you know like Reddit or whatever, but in China, um, they were immediately blaming us when it was occurring. You know, the Western imperialist pigs, this they were doing right. that. They, they brought the virus here, uh, and the Communist Party of China was just egging them on uh, and beating the war drums in China. And now we're finding out that it could have come from the Wuhan BSL-4 laboratory. Now, we knew that months ago, right? You and I had talked about this in, in January, that that was a possibility. And we, we kind of knew about it, but didn't seriously entertain it. Um, but, you know, it, it was always in the back of our minds. The problem is that that, that laboratory has a really shady history. Right. And, and they, have a shady, they have a shady employment history with with local professors and people who have you know Absolutely. ties to the cia or some way or another and whether or not they were selling state secrets or, or doing something nefarious that's yet to be determined whether or not they get prosecuted they, they definitely you know they, they, it seems like you know according to the evidence that they were uh, charles lieber is somebody right. that people should look up a part of the thousand talents program china uses to conduct um, economic espionage uh, and, and just, just overall espionage, but, but economic espionage is a huge part of their, their business model, which is ripping off trade secrets and patent knowledge and, and things like that. But this was actually, this went a little further. And this was, this was almost like uh, some Cold War clandestine, uh, true uh, weaponized uh, espionage with, with the intent and purpose of actually gathering uh, sensitive research technologies and uh, using them in a method that I can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine that they did this to steal this information to develop a vaccine. I feel like if they were trying to develop a vaccine, we would share this information with them. You right. don't, you know, steal biological uh, research on potential viruses or viruses that could be potentially weaponized to develop a vaccine. You know, the who is responsible for coordinating efforts like that. We would help them coordinate an effort like that. I, I don't imagine somebody would get caught up in an espionage charge for, for doing something so benign. So th there's something more to that story. Now, in the past, that laboratory has just been known uh, for having animals that were infected get out of the facility because their researchers decided to sell it at the Wuhan wet market once the animal died. Right, which is about, so what, surprised. five miles away? I mean, this is, yeah, no, it's I think it, yeah, it's something like that's less than five miles. I mean, this is a country that's currently devouring endangered species to produce aphrodisiacs and erectile dysfunction pills. You know, like this, they're, they're, the consequences of their actions. I, I don't know if they don't care or if they're not just fully thinking about them or if they're just reckless. But I mean, there's a pattern of behavior here that we're observing, and the indiscretions and the oversights made with this laboratory kind of just reflect the whole culture. Of, of recklessness that this country displays time and time again. And when we talk about recklessness, you, you, you almost have to use the analogy that the Chinese Communist Party is, without getting too derogatory, I guess, with explaining this, this train of thought, the Chinese Communist Party, for all their technological advances, for all their knowledge, for all of their intellect, their children playing with handguns right now. And yeah. we we are left with the consequences of that on a, on a global scale. And now we have President Trump, who is essentially or has defunded the WHO and is now making these either side accusations or full on accusations that this this was done to us 
either accidentally, again, a child with a handgun or intentionally with, with malicious intent. Um, so I, I think what, what people aren't talking about, and this is something that I feel is important for our listeners and, and people who are going to listen to the show should understand that we're, we're going to try to ask the questions that aren't being asked in the quote unquote mainstream media. What aren't they talking about in the mainstream? What aren't they talking about so that we can talk about that and potentially offer up some commentary and where, where I think you and I were aligning in, in the, the kind of trajectory of this train of thought was some sort of cold war with China. Yeah. uh, It definitely seems like either, you know, there, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of strange messaging coming out of the establishment. Uh, I, I actually think that we probably have been in a cold war with China for, for a time now. Um, and if we're not now, we should really think about our relationship with them and we might want to start taking a more cautious stance because we're getting very strange messages from the media. You know, one is the coronavirus is a weapon and it's a, a highly manipulated strain of SARS meant for war, basically. And the same people who say that also say that it's just the flu. Uh, so that's, you know, that's weird. Uh, and then we need to go back to work. Right. Um, so, you know, it's been going around since the fall, even though the virology models don't suggest that. And also, if people in the intelligence community believe and have evidence to believe that this was a weapon or it did escape, the, the, the facility, then where is patient zero? Who were they? Who, when did they contract it? Who did they give it to? And if we know, or we're starting to know that this is possibly a weapon or possibly came out of the lab, then we should be very close to getting that information and understanding when this started to transmit and who first spread it. If, if number one is true, now it may not be true. And this may just be a way to shift blame from a lot of mishandlings of the situation initially by everyone okay i'm not playing i'm not pointing fingers everyone mishandled this at the beginning we were getting bad information from china i'm not sure that anyone is directly to blame except maybe the who in in china and the who was basically in bed with them but i mean you know the west we have bioweapons we've developed bioweapons nuclear weapons various weapons of mass destruction and we earned those things in blood in death and sacrifice and the hard way we start starting with world war one and we take a lot of caution uh when dealing with those materials and they certainly i'm not sure of any that have escaped from bioweapons labs now you hear of dangerous pathogens sometimes going missing from research facilities but now that we have evidence that you know the chinese potentially have agents in these facilities maybe it wasn't such an accident after all that we had plagued you know, go missing out of a UT facility or we had, you know, some other strain go missing out of an, another university's facility. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't an accident after all. Maybe it was, maybe it was espionage. Maybe it was something else. But, you know, to, to give an example of how serious we take these technologies in the West, there is an, an incident. I can't remember when it happened, but I want to, I want to say it was in the 80s uh, where the Russians were... I don't remember what they were researching, but I think it could have been Marburg virus, which is a very serious pathogen. And they were either fooling around with a vaccine or a weapon. You know, all, everyone says it's vaccine research, but we know that that's not completely true. Right. 
And so there was an accident in the laboratory. And um, from what I understand, the scientists were infected and they just locked it in and they died. They died in the cults of the laboratory as opposed to letting the, the pathogen potentially escape with them and infect others. They just said, you know, this isn't going to happen and you're going to die in the lab. And, and so the things that we've had to go through to achieve these technologies, it's been a lot of sacrifice. People have died for them um, and hard decisions have been, had, had to been made in the past, but China just got handed all of this on a silver platter through our own corruption in government and, and with our, our politicians being bought. Uh, by them in the past. Uh, you can look into the Clintons selling the missile technologies and nuclear secrets. That, that's not really a secret anymore. You know, they have been taken from peasant farmer status 60, 70 years ago to a nuclear power and largely our leaders are culpable. You know, the, 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 the blame rests at their feet and at the, at the feet of the businesses who, who pay, you know, to do business with the Chinese Communist Party and have factories there. We've enriched them to basically become a threat to the world. And that's the scary part because now we have so many people who <clears throat> are are using the mantra of buy local and you know get out of China and buy U.S. made products and they're doing this all on cell phones that are made in China, on laptops made in China, on technology that is being propagated from Japanese and Chinese. Uh, intellectuals. So it's interesting to, to have this kind of weird paradigm. And again, it, it even goes back to the, the far extreme of we all need to go back to work. And then the far extreme of lock everybody down into this totalitarian police state. And so somewhere in the middle, we're going to have to find a happy, a happy middle if we're going to continue to do business with China in this way. If we're going to end up in some sort of cold war where they cut us off, they cut us off from our manufacturing. These companies are, are deserted in, in China. What does that do to our economy even further? What is that going to do to our supply chain from China when the vast majority of our stuff come from, comes from China? So we get into this cold war, we get into this uh, pissing match or saber rattling and they cut us off. What happens then? You know, we've already got stories of just locally supply chains are being disrupted in the, in the CO2 market where beer and seltzer and uh, certain products that use CO2 are not going to be in a good place in the next two to three weeks. So we're, we're really talking about this big ripple effect all from this virus and all potentially, again, allegedly potentially released onto the public or done so in, in such a way that it was, it was uh, maliciously done. And you, yeah, you brought up I, the topic of fourth gen, fourth gen welfare and uh, warfare, excuse me. And, and for those who aren't familiar with it, just kind of giving you the, the high level overview of what fourth gen warfare is. And then, uh, Quentin, if you want to go into it, fourth generation sure. warfare is a conflict characterized by the blurring of lines between war and politics, combatants and civilians. The term was first used in 1980 by a team of U.S. analysts, including paleoconservative William Lind to describe warfare's return to a decentralized form. What does that mean? Right. And how does that apply to what we're potentially seeing with China? So we talked about this earlier today and fourth generation warfare is probably, probably the way most conflicts are going to be waged in the future. And they are, they already have been for, for a large 
portion of, of the the issues that we have with nations they're generally waged by proxy or in fourth gen um so to give you an example of what fortune warfare would look like it would be this you know totally crippling uh someone's economy with a bioweapon and having no uh, evidence point back to you or the evidence being that it was an accident or that um you know it was just a, a naturally mutating virus that you couldn't control was beyond your control that originated in some filthy location that you know you just couldn't possibly shut down for cultural reasons or whatever uh, so basically, a an attack that doesn't look like one. It just looks like a, a random accident. Um, you know, it would look like somebody carrying a blight or a virus for your crops on the soles of their shoes from an, another country, being a foreign agent and walking across your fields and wiping out all your crops in your country and starving you out. You know, it's something, is, you know, in, in not having any blame point in your direction or if someone did they would be you know labeled as a kook or a conspiracy theorist or somebody who was a war hawk um so to just further go on the, the that in the fourth generation uh, warfare train of thought um you know we we went and annihilated iraq because we thought they had wmds right they didn't attack us you know they didn't attack us saddam you know, he had done weird things in the past and he wasn't a good guy. I'm not saying he should have stuck around, but they didn't attack us. They didn't do 9-11. We thought they might have WMDs. And so we annihilated them. Um, well, we say the same thing and, with Bashir al-Assad in Syria with, you know, allegedly yeah. him gassing his own people. And what did we do? We sent some time. And then we found out there. it wasn't him. Exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then like six months later, the, we, we find out it actually was ISIS. Uh, but we attacked him anyway and we killed his soldiers for it. You know, uh, and so right now you have an Antietam or a Pearl Harbor or a D-Day happening every day in the United States, every day, you know, and now we have people that want to say it was potentially, it potentially came from a bio lab in China. Sounds like fortune warfare. If you want to make these accusations, then I suggest that, you know, you hold the line. And if we really have been possibly attacked, I would expect that, you know, coming from the top down, that uh, we start having a different stance with China, economically speaking, and we cut off business ties with them. I don't suspect that'll happen. I think that this is probably just a distraction, and they're going to use this to keep us from pointing blame uh, in our own government. Um, and, and look, you can blame our own government all you want, but ultimately a lot of those people were lied to and it, it's not really their fault. I don't care how you feel about the president one way or another, but he got bad information. Now, I will say this, the same people that told him to write it out back in February, you can find that clip. He was told to write it out and not lock down the country. The business leaders were telling him to just write it out. Those people have a vested interest to continue doing business with China. You right. know? They're not necessarily in our interest. Right, and they're the same ones who are who are touting the go back to work as soon as possible because they are the major exactly. corporations, the major conglomerates that are getting their their main manufacturing from China. They're getting the. I mean, we, we had instances. I mean, very very anecdotal example coming up, but we had instances of gamers as as innocuous as gamers who would speak out against uh, the Communist Chinese Party, uh, and then Blizzard was blacklisting them. So we have companies yeah. that are here in the United States uh, that are beholden to the Chinese Communist Party and making decisions right. 
on American companies and American employees at the interest and at the behest of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, there's some there's some interesting information that um, was was being put out on some message boards uh, regarding Taiwan and how Taiwan was getting emails and and some saber rattling that was happening out of Hong Kong and out of China that potentially they are looking to oust Z and there is some sort of coup because Z is not necessarily a hard party communist as one might imagine as he's very friendly to the West and very friendly to China. So, I mean, we've got so many pieces on the board right now that are moving back and forth. And again, these things are shifting every single day um, and, and we're getting all this confusing information. There was a really great kind of Facebook uh, Facebook post that was being shared uh, quite a few times. And it's like 17 rules for getting through the pandemic. And, and it's kind of, it, it's indicative of what's happening right now, right? They're telling us don't go outside unless you really need to go outside. Don't travel unless it's essential. Don't go out into public without a mask, but masks are useless. So we're getting all this conflicting information and, you know, I have to don't, wonder, don't buy a mask until we've bought them all. <laughs> well, yeah, you had the Surgeon General back in February saying they're ineffective. Don't buy the masks. Save the masks for uh, the, the first responders. Now, every, you know, homeschool mom and every, every clothing manufacturer is switching and pivoting their business to making masks. So we're, we're just keep going yeah. back and forth. And, and to, to go back to the, the, to the Taiwan information, um, you know, what are your thoughts on on the fact that Z may not be in power too much longer if he's not holding that party line and, and they're looking to oust him to go into more of a hot war versus a cold war? Yeah, so th- that's possible. We talked earlier today and I should have I should have looked into who this premier's name was when we got off the phone, but I didn't. But back before the Tiananmen Square incident, um, I can't remember if the students were protesting because a premier had been kind of ousted, stepped down, resigned, whatever. Uh, but he was pro West and, and, and pro um, capitalist or, or whatever. He was softer, you know, he wasn't as hard line uh, CCP. Um, but then there's, a, there's a counter to that theory where, you know, that he was used as a martyr figure and I think he had died uh, right before or right after the Tiananmen Square incident. And that kind of sparked everything. Um, you know, that he was actually kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he created a false movement and a, a false ideology to basically uh, pull out anyone that would be, become dissident. And then there was a flashpoint created to actually bring them to the surface and then just eliminate them. So there's theories that Z is kind of somewhat a figure like that. Um, and that he is going to help, you know, find those people who would be politically dissident and a threat to the party. Now, there's also, I think that I'm actually not in that camp. And I think that Z is probably, uh, you, you know, wanting to norm, fully normalize, because we really don't have fully normalized relationship with, with China. For somebody who manufactures all of our technology, we're not allied with them. This is not like the UK or France or Canada or Mexico or something. Uh, this is a country that is a threat that plays games with us all the time and plays cat and mouse in the, the China Sea and just, you know, constantly uh, sends spies. Like Diane Feinstein's driver, he was a Chinese spy. Um, so th- this is, and I get that we have other allies that spy on us, but not this, not really the same degree. 
Um, so, you know, our relationship with them is precarious and, and could he normalize it? Sure. Um, but there are certainly people within the party. Actually, the majority of people in the party don't want that at all. Uh, like you said earlier, the Ty- Taiwanese report, um, especially the military generals, you know, those are, those guys are selected because they're ideologues. You don't, you do not get to be a general in the Chinese, in the PLA, unless you're a hardliner, unless you're an ideologue, you're basically like a commissar, right? So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that they probably do want to get rid of them. His response to this and how he's handled it, might keep them from getting rid of him because a lot of people are kind of seeing his praises. I think it was very important for him to restore order and to do what he did and to save face. Otherwise, I think he could have been on the chopping block. That being said, I think that we should treat, I mean, if if we think this came from a bioweb and there are people going as far as saying that this is an actual bioweb, then, you know, we should probably treat them like we have been attacked. You know, maybe the average American shouldn't go around hating on China or whatever. Maybe it should just be the average American and you know, the politician should be just more circumspect. I don't really know. But, you know, if our if they want to go hard line on this talking point and basically beat the war drums and be war hawks, then we should hold them to it. And if all business relationships with China aren't suspended, then, you know, our country is basically hostage uh, to that nation. And your corporations are either dependent or colluding with them. And your politicians aren't serving and are weak and, and they may be compromised. Um, there's actually later in the week, we're going to be talking in a different show that we have coming out about um, how far in bed our government actually is with China and just who may be uh, colluding with them in our own government. So that's, that, that's a deep dive all into itself. That we, we wouldn't even be able to cover all those topics on this show. And to that point, I alluded to it earlier. There's a Forbes article, and I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs of it and get your reaction. The headline is, watch out for China buying spree. NATO is warning. Watch out for Chinese companies swooping in with buckets of cash to buy strategic stakes or majority control in U.S. and European companies as asset prices fall due to the pandemic. NATO sounded this in an alarm this week through without though without naming any names. And then here's a quote from NATO. The geopolitical effects of the pandemic could be significant, Secretary General of NATO says in a web conference of defense ministers on Wednesday. Quote, some allies are more vulnerable for situations where critical infrastructure can be sold out, he said. Of course, he meant China. China has been busy buying Greek ports. And it goes on to give a little bit more information about which China companies are buying what and where and as I alluded to earlier, you know, to what end does a bioweapon or some innocuous oopsie, it got out of the lab, you know, to what end does, does that amount to? And with our economy in such a fragile state right now, and, and you said this in episode one, I, I invite everyone to go back to episode one, where you said our, our economy is is a paper tiger essentially or even our infrastructure is a paper tiger and that china and or this pandemic in and of itself has called our bluff has called the american bluff yeah it definitely has and i mean donald trump campaign on this our infrastructure is a nightmare um our system is extremely fragile the on-demand supply system uh, something like this could remove, you know, 
any uh, implication that China did this intentionally and they could still get away with completely bringing us down. It could just be a kill shot. Um, you have to ask, is, I don't know, I'm not sure. Is there more to gain from bringing us down and bringing us more in line with a globalist economic system, or do they have more to gain with a healthy American economy? And I think that I personally lead, lean on the, you know, they have more gain actually have more to gain bringing us down because we were about to really change our trade relationship with China. Uh, we were moving manufacturing back here. Uh, we were taking steps to becoming uh, to become independent and in manufacturing. We're now a net exporter of energy. We really were on a footing to start to become an independent superpower again and not have our manufacturing depending on China. That's not good for them. This is going to make us very poor. We're going to want cheap manufactured, uh, cheap, uh, cheaply manufactured goods for a good price. Of, for a pretty foreseeable future um, because of this. I mean, this is, this is going to change the way people spend their money. And I don't know that they could afford even a, a, a marginal price increase on an American manufactured good at this point. And in a man, American manufactured goods would be inevitably more expensive. I don't see how that's possible. I also, just given the fact where the money went with the bailouts for this, uh, the way they're doing MMT, I, I think that we're going to have to continue to buy Chinese products now. Unless we hold our leaders accountable and they want to play like this was an attack or potentially an attack, great. You know, there may not be jobs in distributing or providing tech support or whatever Chinese-made goods, but we could probably conduct some sort of CCP type uh, restructuring or just use the stimulus money to incentivize factories building here. And we could put people back to work building the factories to build the products that we would lose from China in the future. So, you know, I, I don't really know where we're going after this. Um, but if we're not, you know, if we're not going to hold uh, the, the the Chinese government accountable, then you, you pretty much know at this point that your your government sold out and your you know your leadership is is compromised in some way. And if not, they're just weak uh, because anyone who wants to play games and basically accuse somebody of some sort of uh, clandestine attack and then not hold them accountable for it is weak or insincere, plain and simple. And the military must have known something. Because we've gotten reports that the Defense Department and the CIA warned the IDF and NATO of something like this in the fall. And then we also have the military moving into Cheyenne Mountain, Mount Weather, Raven Rock. I mean, this is, that's unprecedented. They haven't done that in a long time. And so they're, you know, that's continuation of government protocol right there. That's some worst case scenario stuff. You, know, you don't do that lightly. So what, it, what is it that caused them to make those decisions? Uh, I think we should be asking those questions. Right. And, and to shift a little bit more towards, I guess, a more local point of view, let's, let's say this, this naturally happened or, or even if it didn't. Right. So we talked about this, the quote that's, that's often attributed to either Rahm Emanuel. Oh, can, can I say, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you. I, I wanted to go back because we were talking about the economy and how it was a paper tiger. Yeah, yeah. And I, I got uh, sidetracked, but uh, 
So if you go back and look at a, a report from the Rand Corporation, I think this was back in like 2013, 2014. Um, they basically said how the only thing that could bring down the American system, the American way of life, and potentially the American government would be a pandemic. It would be a bioweapon. And I even think they said a very long incubation period uh, that would make tra uh, contact tracing very difficult and would spread very quickly. Um, and, and look, if, if I know this, and I'm just a, a nobody, basically, the Chinese certainly know that. They certainly know our infrastructure weaknesses. They certainly know that our economy is completely dependent on them. That's not a secret. They buy our debt and our banks basically tax us to our, our, our federal government taxes us to loan to banks. So they'll give us credit cards so we can buy Chinese goods on credit. I mean, it's a joke of a system and, and they're fully aware. of it. Exactly. And, and you actually transition nicely into kind of the next aspect of, you know, using this pandemic to bring revolutionary change. And this is coming from the Washington times. This is a, an opinion commentary from uh, Cheryl Cumley, uh, Chumley, excuse me. And it's basically talking about the wake up and smell the Alinsky or wake up and smell the coffee, wake up and smell the Alinsky, left this use COVID-19 pandemic to bring about revolutionary change and getting your reaction on, on these next couple paragraphs. Communist minded community organizer Saul Alinsky in his prologue to Rules for Radicals explained that the most effective activists were those who worked within the established system, not against it, so as to stir the revolutionary pots of change through fear. His words, quote, any revolutionary change must be preceded by a passive, affirmative, non-challenging attitude towards change among the mass of people, the mass of our people. They must feel so frustrated, so defeated, so lost, so futureless in the prevailing system that they are willing to let go of the past and chance the future. Now, the way I read that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong or, or give me your two cents on it, saying something to the fact of letting go of the past and essentially embracing the future this is kind of that that narrative that we're we're kind of playing off of uh with the show title of the new normal right so we're we're, we're seeing so many people who are amped up who are frustrated this double speak that's coming out of the media that it's it's a fake virus that it's not that big of a deal on the other side you have, this is the worst possible thing. We're all gonna die. We all need to be holed up and, and grab as much toilet paper as possible. You know, what are your thoughts on this being utilized by the extreme left to continue to cripple that system and bring about a revolutionary change? I, I, I've, I wanna say that there's a couple of quotes attributed to you know, big time pastors, but also other politicians that if if we, if we let go now, if we let go of this republic, if we let go of the system that we have of capitalism in the way that, not crony capitalism, but just capitalism that is, is what right. we Right, actual capitalism. <clears throat> if we lose that, we are, we are essentially the last vestige of quote unquote hope in the entire world. I mean, this all rests on America, it sounds like. And, and if, if, we, if we lose this fight, you know, as President Trump says to the invisible enemy, um, what happens to America? Um, yeah, so I, I imagine that um, we kind of just descend into chaos and a lot of infighting and factionalism. And uh, Well, we're seeing that now. We're seeing that now yeah, with President I mean, Trump giving all the power. I mean, he, he, 
in his briefings, he's always talking about the ultimate authority lies in the local governors and the municipalities. Yeah, and that's not really true. The, the Constitution has a, a clearly uh, delineated you know, supremacy clause for the federal government. Uh, the, the, the federal government could step in and do all of these things and has the power to do so under, under the supremacy clause. And, and that was completely decided in the Civil War. So, And, and I think to, to President Trump's point is that he doesn't want to go that route. He does want to give the you know, power to the people, power to the governors and, and to the local municipalities. But now we're seeing these far left governors take extreme yeah. measures. That's the problem. That's, that's exactly what I'm getting at, is that now you have places like Michigan who are uh, on the cusp of, at least according to some reports, they're on the cusp of rioting because they want to go back to work. You know, where where on earth have you seen uh, people that desperate to go back to work? And, and I think that that's a shadow picture of what's happening when, when you are not allowing people, when you're fomenting this trust uh, or this lack of trust in the media, the lack of trust in the government, that there's going to be some sort of flashpoint within the next few weeks if these things don't start to fix themselves or, you know, so to speak, get, uh, get resolved quickly. So I'll say a few things about that. Um, I would go read the article I wrote about who it is that you, you know, it's, it's called, uh, abused into apathy. You know, you can go look at it on the new normal pod.com. Um, you're, you're basically risking your life to make someone else rich. You're fighting for that. You're, you're also fighting in some way to continue a system um, that is crony capitalism, you know, your, your banking system, your income tax from your paycheck goes to a central bank that loans money to banks to, to loan to foreign countries a lot of the time and to lend you crappy credit cards at 30% interest and, and do all sorts of really weird things, fund NGOs that are not in your interest and just not great things. This is a very bad use of your money. Uh, and, and you're basically continuing a system like that. And also, I want to say that, should, yeah, we need to get the country back to work. Our economy can't come to a standstill. But we were the economy. Our economy is now beholden to global, globalist international corporations that are debt financed and basically are, would, uh, you know, would fire you at the drop of a hat to bring in an H-1B visa replacement to, to you know, do the job probably not as well, but cheaper. And they have no loyalty to you. You shouldn't have loyalty to them. Now, if you're a small business owner, my heart goes out to you. And that, that is terrible. And, and I don't know what to say as far as, as that goes, other than, you know, if you want to hold someone accountable, the government and China would be a good place to start. Uh, because if we didn't have the system of interdependency with them, and we had a government that actually had our 100% interest at heart, we, we wouldn't be in the situation. There would have been no flights coming in from China. And, and I, I've said this to you in the past, you know, Trump, if he loses, this, this affects older people. If he loses his older demographic as, as a voting base, you know, he did not win the popular vote. I don't care if it was because of Democrat uh, corruption and uh, election fraud. That's true. Uh, still, he didn't win it. They're going to continue to do the same type of election fraud next time. That's not going to change. And if he loses any of his base, uh, 1%, 2% of his base, guess what? He doesn't win. It doesn't matter if he has the Electoral College. He cannot lose by those margins and, and maintain the office. It just won't happen. 
And so it was in his best interest at the very beginning. He shouldn't have been listening to people that told him to write it out because they knew it could kill one to two percent of the population. They weren't stupid. They saw what was happening in China. But now what's going to happen is if this goes unmitigated, we all go back to work. We have a second wave. It's, if it's as bad or worse than this first wave, he loses a part of his voting base. He doesn't go back to office. It was with him. It was with his best interest or within his best interest to shut down the border immediately when this happened. That's what he should have. That was his knee-jerk reaction, actually, that he got called racist and he got browbeat into not doing it. But his first knee-jerk reaction was to shut everything down. He wasn't able to do it. You know, I, 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 I hate that we're, you know, capitalism is good, but nobody ever said capitalism before Marx said socialism. That was never said. You know, we just had trade and commerce. That's right. what it was. You know, we have uh, free enterprise in this country. But we actually had a much more regulated trade uh, policy then, and especially in the time of our founding fathers, than we do now. I mean, we had tariffs on everything, everything coming into the country. Everything was regulated. Our, our uh, semaphore lines were regulated, then the telegraph lines, the, the turnpikes, the canal system, the rail system, plumbing, all the public works. It was always regulated. Now, you could start your own business and you can engage in free enterprise. At the same time, our, one of our very first instances that we had in this country was the Whiskey Rebellion. And a lot of people had their own distilleries, but the government then said, no, you can't. And then it got so heated that George Washington had to ride his horse out into the middle of nowhere and threaten people with death if they didn't shut their distilleries down. So we've had an open economy, but not to the, the uh, not to the detriment of the people as a whole. And, and, and you know, the Civil War... Uh, was largely based on that. You had, and I'm from the South, you know, I had family, you know, much of my family fought for the South, but the facts are the facts. You had Southerners that were basically engaging in commerce with foreigners over their brethren in this country in the North who were making ironworks, making steel products, who had textile factories, and they would rather import cheaper foreign goods than pay for uh, their their own brethren's uh, their own countrymen uh, their products. So Lincoln slapped a tariff, or I don't think it was Lincoln. I think it was the president before Lincoln slapped a tariff on the products, the tariffs of abomination, to prevent that from continuing. We had regulated trade. South went crazy over these tariffs. But really, that's the worst type of 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 businessman. It's the type of businessman that would rather do business with a foreigner over his own countrymen. And it's not any surprise that these were terrible businessmen. They were slave, you know, they, they were, they were enslaving people to do farm labor. Uh, you know, so it's, it's no surprise that they were a little unethical, but we're dealing with that same mentality. Now you have corporations, the average American workforce that would rather enrich the lives of communists in China, have factories there instead of employ Americans for a little more, to make a better product that it's all about margins. It's all about the dividends. It's all about the shareholders and it's at the expense of American people and the American future. And it basically only goes to enrich those, those select few that own these large international corporations or who are shareholders in them. And, and a lot of those aren't even Americans now. And you know, the, the Chinese communists who at this point might have attacked us. So you have to ask yourself, what it is that you know the average american is actually going back to work for what system are they perpetuating also and i'm not look i'm not 
I'm for free enterprise. Okay. I am not, I am not against capitalism. I am totally against crony capitalism or whatever system that we currently have. That is just an abomination of what the American economic model used to be. But you know, what is it that you're going back to work for at this point? This is not an economy of you or us. This is, this is something beholden to foreign oligarchs. And when they open up the economy, are you going to have to have an antibody test? Are you going to have to carry, you know, uh, a proof of immunity, right. a wristband? Because I promise you, when they open up the economy, those things are coming. Those, things, are coming. those things aren't coming. They're, they are. If we sit and wait this out and our cases go to zero in the future, which is possible if we wait it out, forced vaccinations, immunity cards, all of those things might not become a reality. I promise you, if you open up this economy, you will make those a reality. Right. And you're seeing that in, in more foreign countries. Uh, I think it was Australia that was testing it out. I actually linked on my personal Facebook. I linked out to a company called, um, now I forget the name it was like life tag or something like that. It's actually the CEO of, um, pitch engine. It's a separate company and they manufacture smart devices. And, and one of the smart devices is one that essentially is a biometric. Um, it almost looks like the Fitbit and it's, it's your immunity pass. And it, it even went as far as to say that uh, employers and establishments can take a device, can take a smartphone and tap it on this band. And it would prove to them that that employee or patron of that establishment has been vaccinated or has the antibodies to be okay to be in public. And, and we get into this very scary, you know, <clears throat> draconian big brother situation where, I mean, there wasn't a story last week that I couldn't pass up where it was some sort of draconian big brother uh, paradigm, you know, where, where New York or New Jersey is releasing drones that can monitor your temperature at any given time. And so we're talking about this is the new normal. This is what's coming. It's already here. We've already yeah. got people, which begs the question, how long have they been preparing for this? Yes, we're a very innovative bunch. We're a very good, smart lot of, of individuals. But how fast did the Patriot Act happen after 9-11? And now we have all of these very September 12th, I think <laughs> exactly. I think it was September 12th. I mean, it was 800 pages already, you know, said and done. Yeah. By the on time, the desk. yeah, yeah. But by, by the time the, the, the embers were still barely, you know, cooling off at ground. Zero. I, I think it was literally the next day the Patriot yeah. Act ended up on uh, the desk of someone. I, I can't remember, but the, the full, you know, the full law and they, they did some minor tweaking in Congress, but it, this is eerily reminiscent of that. Very, very. And, and we've never gotten any of those freedoms back. You and know, I, I'll, I'll never forget. Go ahead. I was just going to say that's that's what I think. There's a there's a minority, obviously, that talks about it. Libertarians and patriots of that nature who are very civil rights, uh, civil liberty minded. But the average Joe six pack, oh, I'll wear a bracelet if I get to go back to work. I'll wear a bracelet. That's not a big deal. But we're changing the new normal. And people are embracing it in such a way that the next time this happens, when we do inevitably, if, if this is going the way the, the headlines are showing us, get a second wave, a third wave, this isn't going away in the summer because this is not a heat resistant flu, then we're going to be looking at a whole new way of life 
where I, I, I was going to the store today with my wife and I thought to myself, are we at a point where, where she and I can never go into a store together because the policies and the powers that be, again, these big box stores who are beholden to China are not going to let us in because it's too many people in the store. And when, when, do, when do we release that power from these governments and from even these corporations who are telling us how we can and cannot live our lives anymore? And it's a very scary reality to think that we, we're prisoners in our, own, in our own homes and we're prisoners in our own towns. We're prisoners in our own nation. Going back to the fact that China is potentially buying up all of our assets, buying up all of our debt in such a way that we have now become serfs of the Chinese Communist Party. Essentially, uh, essentially, we're is some sort of weird consumer serfdom where we keep we keep indebting ourselves and our children and our future in order to buy cheap consumer crap. It's it's bizarre, and our government just allows us to go into debt to do that and give the Federal Reserve more money to uh, loan out to continue this debt cycle, so we can continue to buy products from China. It's the most bizarre reality. I can't even believe we're having this conversation. Um, two points I want to make about what you said, because a lot of what you said uh, was, was spot on. Um, Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, number one, actually I have multiple things. The first two, number one, I, I don't know when we get this freedom back. I imagine they'll have to ease up on this at some point. Otherwise they're going to have terrible backlash. At the same time, this is this is pretty out there in conspiracy field. But if there was backlash and it happened, you know, that some person fought back against the system, you might not ever know because they'll just totally erase them, unperson them online. And anybody that ever is like, yeah, I knew this one guy and he tried to fight against the system. And they're not going to make that post either. That'll be pulled too. Right. Like uh, that sounds crazy, but uh, honestly, there, there, there's a way to completely silence people and, and, and everyone they know. You we see it now though. We see it now with Facebook and Twitter shadow banning people where you're not kicked off the platform, but you're certainly not getting in front of eyeballs. Right. So, so like, I imagine that they'll have to ease off the gas at some point. Otherwise they're going to have like large coordinated backlash. Like you're starting to see in Michigan but at the same time, they don't necessarily have to. Um, that's, what's kind of scary. <laughs> for your um, safety, as the Nazi party would say. Yeah, or Stalin. Uh, any any dictator basically has gone down that, that road I, from, from Pol Pot to Stalin to Hitler, whomever, you know. Uh, but, uh, the, you know, another couple points are just because you have antibodies to this doesn't mean that you're immune. There's a lot of reports coming out that you don't really have immunity to this virus just because you've been exposed or you've gotten over it, you can relapse or you can, uh, you can end up uh, very uh, ill or, or just contagious still. You can, you can reactivate, become asymptomatic, and infect, infect others around you. An example of this is you have antibodies to the flu. You can still catch the same flu twice. Right. You don't become fully immune to the flu. Um, there, there are plenty of viruses that you're just not ever really immune to. You can well, and you have to take a vaccine every single year. Yeah, 
you know, and that's for minor genetic variations from the flu. It's not like huge jumps in the strain or something like that. So, you know, just because you have antibodies and, you know, you can have antibodies from a very small viral load and apparently your symptoms are really largely dependent on what size viral load you took in in the first place. And they're not exactly, this is a brand new virus. Nobody's really sure of much about this thing. So there's a possibility that you could then be re-exposed to a much larger viral load and become sick, you know, and your, your immune system never really just developed enough to handle it. it. It's also unsure how long people have the ability to fight it off, even if they have the antibodies. So that's kind of scary too. And are you bringing the virus on your clothes or whatever that you're wearing back home to someone who's vulnerable and hasn't had it? We don't know that either. Whether you could, you could, well, actually we do know, we know if you brought it home on your clothes or the soles of your shoes and somebody else did not have it or, or wasn't exposed in your household, you could give it to them. They could become very ill. So that's dangerous in itself. And then secondly, if, if anyone, you know, generally the people who want to go back to work and think this is all a conspiracy to control demolition, the economy or whatever, or it is designed to hurt Trump and his campaign. First off, you shouldn't view it like this. This proves everything he said in his campaign. He could go balls to the wall MAGA on this all day, all day. This proves everything he said about the border, everything he said about our trade imbalances, everything he said about our infrastructure, everything he said about our economy. This proved everything on the campaign trail. It's your job to hold him to that. He does have the power to make the decisions you want him to make. He does have the power. He has the power to become campaign Trump. This doesn't have to hurt Trump. If I was him, I'd immediately start campaigning on the fact that I said this was a possibility. I said this could happen. I said this about our economy. I said this about trade. And that is a winning strategy. And so, you know, don't view this as something that, that is designed as a political conspiracy against the president. You know, if this was mishandled by the president, it was simply because he got bad information. You know, he is in an information bubble. He gets the information that's presented to him. The president, it's very difficult with how busy their schedules are to get independent information and to get information outside of their sphere. You know, the, the national security briefings, the intelligence briefings, if they're not presented with that information and it's not concrete, they're not going to get it. So if he has a business leader telling him it's just like the flu, we should write it out, that's about as good of information as, as he gets on a daily basis anyway. I mean, it, it, he's, he can't, it doesn't have the time to do independent research. But this definitely proved everything that he said. I, I see no reason why this has to hurt him and why you have to go along with this narrative that it's just the flu. This isn't, you know, that's not true. That's not true. The flu, first off, I'd like to say this, the flu has already happened. We've already lost, you know, 20,000 people from the flu this year. This is a plus one, okay? If you look at New York, it's something like 200,000 people are affected and 20,000 people somewhere around there have died. That's 10% case fatality rate. You find me a flu that kills that many people. Go right. and find that. And it's strained New York's healthcare system. That could come to a city near you anytime. We've got cities that are peaking around 30,000 right now. If we lift the stay-at-home orders and people go back to work for these weird corporations that don't really value you, what happens if your local city turns into New York? You got a 10% case fatality rate. How long does the stability of the nation last under that scenario? How long can the medical system keep up with that? Is that why our military just went into Cheyenne Mountain and Raven Rock and Mount Weather? Maybe. You know, I, 
the, the situation in Italy should be a, a serious warning. And if anything, this doesn't hurt the president. This just falls right into his hand, you know, as far as his talking points are concerned. And I guess that's where I struggle with some of these more conservative leaning, you know, the Ben Shapiro's and, and the, and the Breitbart's and the, the Prager U university, all of these more conservative leaning who do want to open up the economy and they are looking at the, the economic impact. And, and it's not, it's not to say that the economy isn't important. They're, they're just as responsible for spinning a narrative as, as the left is. Oh, yeah. and, and we have to realize that. And, and when you have these far extremes or even moderate uh, conversations about whether or not it's a flu, a conspiracy, a bioweapon, whatever, what are they not talking about? What are they not talking about? And, and we have these independent doctors in it, and this is such an interesting age that we live in where we can have doctors who can get on a Skype call, a, a Zoom call, uh, a Facebook Live, and start putting out that information. You do with it what you will, but at the end of the day, unless you're there, unless you have firsthand knowledge, unless you have a, a, a receipt of the transaction, everything is based on trust. Everything is based on trust. All of your sources are, are gospel you know, whether you're left or right. And so you have to ask yourself, why are these corporations, why are these news corporations rather on the far right asking or, or demanding that we open up the economy? I'm for opening up the economy. I want to get back to work. I want to get back to helping other companies because that's what I do as a marketer, as an independent contractor, as, as a web designer, is to help these businesses thrive and market and, and get out there. And I struggle with the fact that they're trying to do it in such a way that it's almost laissez-faire. Let's just go back to normal. You can't go back to normal when you have doctors saying that this has an average, you, you brought up 10%, an average of a 7% case fatality rate. This isn't the yeah. flu. No, no, the Spanish flu didn't have a case fatality rate that high. And uh, if you look at the old, like I've said before, if you look at the old CDC guidelines on what a, 10% or 7% case fatality rate means for, for the world. Uh, basically, uh, your way of life is over indefinitely. Uh, it's very serious. So, uh, you know, it's, if you're a conservative, you know, how would you feel as a conservative if the person telling you go back to work was John McCain? I think the average conservative would be like, mm, not really, not really for this guy. I don't want to listen to him. But that's what's happening. Right. He's dead. But the same type of people are telling you this nonsense. You know, and I want to go back to work too. You and I run our own businesses. You know, it's not that I'm anti-business. I am engaging in, in free enterprise myself. You are as well. I like the system. I'm not for the system collapsing. But at the same time, if there's no one to market, you're expendable. <laughs> if there's yeah. no one to market to, I mean, then what's the point? Yeah, I mean, you are expendable to these people. You know, their donors and their advertisers, the people who pay their bills, are the people doing business with China. They have a vested interest in the system going back to the way it was. It doesn't matter if it kills you. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter. As long as the, the wheels of the economy keep turning, they think that the, the, our government will continue business as, as usual. But Really, it won't. At some point in time, we'll, we'll lose control of the situation from a medical standpoint. Enough people will die. It will cause social unrest or, you know, 
you lose enough people of, especially if you lose enough people in your military force or people who are of fighting age, you will soon become governed by someone else. You, you won't maintain control. And there are people who would like to uh, undo us. I, I am so scared that someone uh, who has a terror cell, some foreign nation that has a terror cell or a, a clandestine cell in this country right now exploits this tragedy and does something to our critical infrastructure. That will be game over. That would be totally, that, that would be game over at this point. Yeah, and we so, talked about that on episode one. I mean, what, <clears throat> where, where my dark mind goes, where, my, where my, uh, my kind of contrarian mind goes is, if I were a terrorist, what would I be thinking about taking advantage of now? And of course, New York comes to mind where you have a already inundated system and maybe other places that aren't so inundated. You know, this is not to put the thought out there for anybody who might be listening. But here's the situation at hand. We are crippling our, our, our infrastructure. And whether you're China or a homegrown terrorist, something is going to be a boiling point. Whether it's a Lexington and Concord moment that happens internally, and I say that on the eve of, of the Revolutionary War, we have to start thinking in those, in those terms because we don't go back from where we are now. We don't go back to January, laissez-faire, let's go to the Houston Rodeo and have a good time. Now, I mean, standing in line next to someone who is two inches too close to you from six feet, you're getting bad looks. And it only took four weeks. It only took four weeks to get from the highest highs in the market that we've ever had to bread lines, to literal bread lines. Yeah, that right there should be a huge indictment on our system, <clears throat> you know. Who did it serve to have our supply system and, and our, our logistics chains stretched so thin? Who did that benefit? It didn't benefit us. You know, you've got people that are going hungry now because of this system. This is an don't, artificial don't worry. system. Don't worry. We've got $1,200 on the way. It's going to tie you Absolutely. over for 10 weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. Ramen and Vienna sausages, if you can find them, you know. But this, this system wasn't your making. This isn't an indictment on America. This is an indictment on what we have allowed America to become. We fell asleep. We weren't demanding accountability from our politicians and America became this. This isn't from, this isn't as, this is a result of our, our, uh, I don't want to say apathy, but our, our no, I think that's a good know, word. oversight. And yeah, it, it really is. It, it really is an apathetic nature that we've had. Uh, and, We've you had know, bread and circus for so long that, yeah. you know, it, it, it was bound to happen. Even now in the midst of a pandemic, and we made fun of this on episode one, even now in the midst of a pandemic, people are more concerned about a, a homosexual couple and abusing tigers than they are <laughs> yes. holding people accountable to the fact that, was this a biological attack? And if it was, what, should we, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Yeah, they have us caught up in a false dialectic of the virus is fake or it's not fake and this is all a conspiracy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. If We're it's here fake now. and someone, if someone can pull off a ruse this good and fake this and totally destroy our way of life, then it's a problem. Right. It's a problem. You need to demand accountability from your politicians. This is unacceptable. If it's fake, it's unacceptable. If it's real, it's unacceptable. This proved everything that was a campaign talking point for Donald Trump. I hate to say it again, but it's true. This proved that our system was a paper tiger. This called our bluff. 
It doesn't matter if this is real or not. This is unacceptable and it has to change. Our economy needs to become grassroots. We need to manufacture our own things in our own backyard and start to localize and decentralize our economy. This is ridiculous that we're even having this conversation. Oscar Wilde once said that America went from barba uh, barbarism to decadence without ever having passed through civilization first. And, uh, you know, I used to think, oh, that's just Oscar Wilde and he just, you know, whatever. He didn't like America, obviously. I don't know. That's, I mean, I, you, I promise you in, you know, in other places in the world where they have, like Mexico, actually, Mexico has a very localized economy, especially for food. You know, this isn't going to affect them in the same way, uh, you know, speaking from their, their food supply chain as it does us. You know, they grow their own crops basically around their villages and trade regionally for food and, and, and resources and livestock and, and fresh seafood. Ours is from all over the continent and all over the world. And the, the ingredients and the chemicals used for preservatives and every other thing that goes into it is from God knows where. And it, those things aren't moving. And so this system is going to end up causing people to go hungry. They already, it's already occurring, but no matter what side of the dialectic you're on, I don't really care. It's not acceptable, you know, bottom line. We are supported by Aerial Digital. Aerial Digital is a full service digital marketing agency that specializes in custom design websites for small to medium sized businesses. Whether you need a simple one page bootstrap website or you're ready to start selling your products online with an e-commerce website, Aerial Digital is equipped to help your business. Go to aerialdigitalmarketing.com slash new normal. That's A-R-I-E-L digitalmarketing.com slash new normal and save 20% on your custom website today. It's not. And where do we go from here from, from the layman standpoint, someone who's listening to this and looking for solutions. One of the solutions that I wanted to present and, and talk about and, and have a conversation around, um, as, as we brought up in, in a book uh, last week, another book review, which if you go to our website, newnormalpod.com, under list, we started a book list and Quentin and I are, <laughs> pardon me, Quentin and I are adding our, our favorite books that we, we recommend. Um, none of them are affiliate links, so don't worry about that just yet. <laughs> um, but one of the books that I wanted to talk about that I feel very strongly would maybe start to help some average Americans is The Richest Man in Babylon and how people can start looking at their finances in a different way so that they don't get into the situation. And, and just to kind of give you the 30,000 foot view of the richest man in Babylon, it's taking the, it's taking the principles of saving and investing in, in a system, systematized way in so much that you know where every dollar goes. And that's, that's not unlike Dave Ramsey's method or, or any of these other financial advisors, but it's, it's giving, it's giving your dollars and cents a location so that you know exactly where, where it's going and how it's going to be spent. Um, money is in a vacuum. You tell it where to go, it's going to go. Otherwise it's going to tell you where it goes and that's going to be Netflix or McDonald's or whatever, whatever it is that you're, you're indulging in. And so the richest man in Babylon kind of gives you a, <clears throat> a formula of taking your income and setting aside 10% for yourself. And that's the pay yourself first mentality. Pay yourself first by putting it into a high yield savings account, putting it into some sort of savings account. 
<clears throat> so that you can actually do something. Now, the second part of that, or, or the second step to that is another 10% of your income goes into debt payoff. That assumes that you're in debt. And that helps you do what Dave Ramsey talks about, which is the debt snowball, taking 10% of that income and applying it to the smallest payment possible. So you owe $400 on a car or you have a $400 car payment and you're making that one payment from the debt account. And then 70% of your income is going off to living off your expenses, your bills, your phone, your lights, everything that you need to live. That's where 70% of that income is, is being utilized. You take that 10%, it's not extra, it's just already part of your income. You take that 10% and apply that to the next payment. So out of your 70%, you make a $400 car payment. Out of that 10%, you make another half payment or a whole payment so that you're doubling up and you're, you're creating that debt snowball. And then the next 10% is for, you can call it tithing, giving, charitable causes, whatever tickles your fancy. There's just a rule, whether you're religious or not, that giving will ultimately get you a reward in, in, in some aspect of being able to uh, not only feel good, but it pays forward, right? So the more you give, uh, when you're faithful with a little, you'll be given much more. So whatever your income is right now, if you can start taking a look at breaking it down into this formula of 70% going into all of your living expenses, that's paying the lights the car payment, the mortgage, the rent, whatever it is that you need to survive on a, on a month to month basis. And that 70% is going into one bank account. The next 10% again is going into a savings account, be it high yield or otherwise. Another 10% is going into a debt payoff. And these are all physical different accounts so that you can see where your money's going, see where every dollar is being spent. And you can track that through Mint or a lot of banks now have these kind of uh, budget tracking uh, applications as a part of your accounting. But then you take that next 10% and you apply that into giving. And now 100% of your income has somewhere to go and you're not getting uh, a death by a thousand subscriptions or bleeding out your your finances by just you know laissez-faire that's going to be my favorite word of the of the podcast today um just spending your money so so flippantly and i think <clears throat> i think that if our listeners start to take some of that information and, and at least apply part of it which would be take 10% and pay yourself first you're going to be in a much better place and you're going to start to see that bank account growing and you're like, Oh my gosh, I actually have a savings. Maybe I can put a little bit more. And then if, if you're paying off debt or if you are debt free, that 10% turns into 20%. So now you're saving 20% of your income. And I think ultimately the goal I know for us is to bring that 70% down to 60, down to 40, 50, down to 40 to the point where we're living off very little and everything is either going into some sort of savings or some sort of investing. And that's where, you know, you can start getting into the, the best investment ever made and some of these other investing books. But my recommendation, and I'd love to get your, your take on that and maybe any other recommendations that you have. My recommendation is for everyone to go read The Richest Man in Babylon. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but I, I think it can really start to set some people up who have never looked at their finances in a very macro point of view. Um, or even a micro point of view and just analyzing where it's all going. Cause the average American has what we'll call fat in their budget of about $500. The, 
the average American is just wasting, throwing it away. And, and I've had so many people say, ah, that's not true. That's, there's no way you could possibly do that. <clears throat> and I challenge them and I say, go print out your bank statement and then go highlight everything in red that was not some sort of living expense, your, your rent, your, your mortgage, or your car payments, your groceries, everything other than those, that are, those things, highlight them in red and tell me, tally them up and see how much you were spending. And we're talking about Netflix and Hulu and Spotify and all of these luxury streaming services, in addition to the $7 cup of Starbucks coffee, the $700 you know, phone that you didn't necessarily have to upgrade right away. So I, I just think that if people really start to switch over to this new normal of being better stewards with their income, that $1,200 stimulus check would just go into a savings account and you'd be fine. Yeah, and if you really want to know how we got ourselves into this situation where you're now sitting on your couch with nothing to do, demanding to go back to work and risk your life and all that, it's the the debt and finance system that we become a slave to and just the financial irresponsibility most Americans uh, uh, live with and, and basically indulge in. Um, you know, a lot of it isn't even our fault. A lot of things are completely unaffordable and, you know, our wages are very bad because they can get away with it because they know that we can finance things that we want and need. So it's this vicious cycle, really. Uh, but but really, it all it all started with uh, our inability to save and and make good decisions with our own personal finances, and put aside money, and and be responsible. And you know, part of getting ourselves back on track as a nation is to take personal responsibility back from you know the people we've ultimately given it to and and who have abused our trust and be independent. And it starts with financial independence. You know, I'm actually doing pretty well in, in this whole thing. And and I'm not like bragging. I'm not like, Oh, check out this thing. I can teach you how to do. And you can be rich like me. Nothing buy like my that. course. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. Buy my course. No, I am effectively unemployed. Uh, you know, I, I run a, a business, a help run a business, uh, that has no business right now because of this. And uh, I'm not really making any money, but I was smart. And while I made good money, I put money back. Now, a lot of people, it's very difficult to do that. But like you said, people subscribe themselves to death. I think a lot of people might be looking at all of the things that they purchased in their house, or the things they're subscribed to and reprioritizing oh, yeah. what is what's a necessity and what isn't. Uh, even I I've think in the that, next two weeks, financially healthy. I think in the next two weeks, you're really going to start seeing some garage sales. Once, once some of these yeah. social distancing things give a, give a little bit way, you're going to start seeing a lot of garage sales. I think that's my next prediction is the, the rise of either online marketplace. And I'm seeing that in just Facebook feed now is people selling, oh, yeah. selling, selling, selling. But once social distancing becomes more relaxed, so to speak, again, I don't think we ever go back to normal. Um, but you're going to start seeing a lot of garage sales and, and a lot of people downsizing either forcibly through eviction or otherwise. Um, but they're just going to, they're going to realize that this, this American dream of keeping up with the Joneses is, is putting so many people in, into debt that is unmanageable. 
you know, we see something yeah. at the store and instead of saving up for it, setting aside cash for the next 30 days or even 60 days, we just, well, I can afford the payments on it. Therefore, I can afford this big thing, this big lavish uh, expense and, and not thinking about it. And then they get into this debt cycle and it's just spirals out of control. And, and we see that on an individual level. We see that on a corporate level and we see that on a national level. And that's how we got into this financial mess that we're in. That's that paper tiger that we've been talking about that a strong wind could have blown this economy, you know, out of the water. Yeah. If this is a lie and this is a ruse, then basically our economy was just destroyed by a lie and a ruse. That's unacceptable. And that's scary. It's super scary. Let's go what down the road. <laughs> Let's go down the route of this is a huge conspiracy that this is a, this, uh, this, this is all fake uh, there's no such thing as the virus. This is just a, a really strong flu that we've not looked at. Whatever, whatever this fake virus is to, to put us under totalitarian uh, reign. Guys, that's all it took? Yeah, Think the media it. jackals brought down the economy. That's all uh, it according, took. If, if, it's, if it's fake, then the media jackals brought down the whole country. Scary, you know? And you just needed a few people to go along with it. And, and that's it. So, um, you know, personal financial responsibility. I save a ton of money. I've, I limit my bills. I have virtually no debt. Um, and, and it's not because, it's not because I, I, I make good money. I'm not going to lie. But I haven't always. And, and I still didn't, you know, I, I didn't have a credit card until I was 30, you know. That's crazy unheard of. And I got one when I could afford to basically pay in cash everything I've leveraged. You know, anytime I, I, I got a loan or a line of credit to, to purchase something, I could have just bought it twice. You know, I just didn't want to. I could take the money that I would have used to buy it twice and I could have invested in stocks or something. It was just actually smarter to get a credit card. And a lot of people are like, well, that's why I did it. No, it isn't. You did it because you have been conditioned to be a hyper-emotional consumer. Mm -hmm. And you are an impulse buyer. And you had a credit card because you wanted to buy X. It isn't because you were being smarter with your money 90% of the time. It doesn't even take and, much salesmanship nowadays. I mean, no. having, having worked in retail and, and they they really push this in retail, get them to sign up for a credit card. Hey, did you know that if you sign up for the credit card today, you could save 5% on your purchase? I mean, this was just the script. I mean, they literally sure. handed you a script on signing people up for credit. And once you, it, it's kind of dirty, right? This feeling of having worked in retail and you're like, oh, I, I can't morally ask people to sign up for these things I don't believe in. So it, it became kind of this conflict of interest for me where I was just like, Hey, do you want a credit oh, yeah. card? No. Okay, good. Let, let me, you know, let, let's just get this over with. And, and I just, I don't know. We, and, and this is a vicious feedback loop that we're in because yeah, yeah. Of the way our tax system works and our banking system works. I mean, there is incentives from the top of our government down to get people into debt to continually increase our GDP, to in, you know, continually increase revenues, to in, continually move product, product that largely comes from overseas competitors. Mm. So, who, who, are, who are our slave masters? They have given us a, basically <laughs> our masters at this point and might have just you know, caused a pandemic. But uh, you know, 
I just become more aware of your own personal finances. Uh, know how much you have in your bank account at all times, what you're spending your money on. I didn't, you know, I have worn the same clothes for over a decade because I'm just not hyper emotional and, you know, I guess a very good consumer. And I pay for most things in cash. I, I don't finance my bills. You know, everything I own, I generally buy right out. You know, if I, I have very little on my credit card, like literally 1800 bucks, you know, I could go and just pay all that off right now. Even in this financial collapse, I could go and pay all that off and not feel it, not even worry about it. And that's where everyone needs to be because I did that. I got to that point as a poor college student with nothing. And like before I was a college student, I was a cop. My wife's a teacher, you know, it's a, we, we've never made a whole lot of money, but we've always lived within our means and the average American doesn't. That's why we're here, here now. My other set of advice would be find a side hustle. LinkedIn learning, it doesn't cost much. It's like $29 a month. You can, you can get all sorts of great training on LinkedIn learning. There's tons of learning softwares out there that will train you to have your own business, to be your own boss. And it's legitimate. It's not like drop shipping. Weird stuff. I mean, and that's not illegitimate either. You can make good money doing that. But th these would be real career paths, Feel, filling niches in, you know, like freight brokering or something like that. Um, it's out there. The training's out there. It's affordable. You know, uh, you are doing nothing right now. You're sitting exactly. home watching tiger abuse. Get a side <laughs> hustle, you know? Yeah, I've seen the so, meme very early on in this uh, in this lockdown that, you know, if you don't come out of this pandemic with a new skill, then you didn't have... I forget what it was. You didn't have a, a yeah. That's a you a, problem. Yeah, that's a you <laughs> problem. You, you you didn't have you had a discipline problem, and, and to a certain extent, that's very true. Like, I had this conversation with my son who <clears throat> who who works at a restaurant and obviously is essentially laid off or at least on hold. I'm like, you could be doing something to fill a need, right? This is a needs based. Uh, pandemic right now find a need and fill it learn more learn more about people than you do about anything else and you'll be unusually successful my, my business coach says that danny johnson and it's true if you can just find the need it may not be the most glamorous thing it may not be uh, this million dollar idea but at the same time you read books like the millionaire next door and these are individuals who are driving Ford F-150s. They don't have the artifacts on their, on their uh, wrist. You know, they have a cheap watch. They, at the time, obviously, this was written in the late 90s uh, when, when people had watches. But they don't have the latest cell phone. They don't have the latest knickknack and whatnot. They don't live in the biggest house. They live in the nicest house in the worst neighborhood. You just have to change your mindset of, again... <clears throat> the the new normal has had this negative connotation over the last couple of weeks that, you know, it, we're, we're giving into the totalitarian mindset of the new normal. We're trying to flip that on its head and say that the new normal for us can definitely be a good thing, that there can be some positive things. We started off this show talking about uh, Quentin doing his garden and we, we've been working on our garden. My wife just, you know, put in more uh, garlic and more, uh, herbs. So, I mean, we have an herb garden, we have a salsa garden, which we, we call the salsa garden that has the tomatoes and the cucumber, excuse me, the uh, jalapenos and the tomatillos. Start learning a new skill. 
um, on my on my personal Facebook page, I did a live today where I was cutting my son's hair and just commenting on the fact that that's been our new normal. You know, so many people are like, oh, I can't get my hair cut. I can't get my hair cut. Go to Walmart, which unfortunately right now, a lot of the clippers are sold out. I noticed that the other day. But go to Walmart and watch a couple YouTube videos on how to cut your own hair. And I mean, I don't do a bad job on myself. I cut my own hair and I cut my my son's hair and I save almost $50 a trip doing that. What can you do with $50 today if I handed it to you instead of going to pay a barber for myself, my two little boys and my eldest son uh, when I was paying for everybody now that he had a job, he's able to pay for his own haircuts. But $50 just to get haircuts when you can buy a good set of clippers for that price and some accessories and never pay for a haircut again. Change the mindset. That can become the new normal. Anything, any closing remarks? Um, I mean, other than just, you know, I think that saving at this point, it could be difficult or impossible for most people but that's still good advice because that's how we got here in the first place um and that's something that people should carry with them from this point on um but you know back to the if if you don't leave this without some sort of side hustle or new knowledge or a new way of making money you have a you have a serious problem you watch too much tiger king or something um and don't get caught up in these false dialectics that are just handed to you by this media system that doesn't have your interest at heart. Basically, I don't, I don't, I don't remember if it was like Edward Bernays or who said it in the past, but if they could just show you advertisements all day long, they would, you know, the news only comes on as a break from advertisements, you know, the, you, their interests aren't your interests and they're feeding you a false narrative. And either way, whether this is a conspiracy or it's real, should have never been allowed to happen. It's unacceptable and it shouldn't be allowed to continue. This system has to change and we have to hold our leaders accountable no matter who they are. Um, that's basically it. That's all I've got. Guys, thank you so much for joining us one more time for episode two of The New Normal. This has been a, a complete pleasure to, to talk with you again, Quentin. I'm looking forward to part three and uh, potentially a new, a new segment or a new show, a new spinoff that we're already looking at talking. So look at our Facebook page, check out the new and follow us uh, on our different social uh, channels uh, and, and, you know, subscribe if you're not already subscribed on, on your platform of choice. Um, we want to thank you guys so much for listening. Stay safe and welcome to the new normal. <laughs>